You are listening to a Himal South Asian podcast. Hi everyone and welcome to Himal Podcasts. I'm Raisa Vikramatunga and I'm here with Ramsha Jahangir, a journalist based in Karachi and covering technology and human rights. Today we're going to have a conversation on digital media, propaganda, surveillance and disinformation. Welcome to Himal Podcast, Ramsha. Hello, how are you? Good, thanks. So just to kick things off, I actually wanted to kind of begin at the end of one of your recent articles where you said, if Twitter trends are to be believed, Pakistan is moving forward, but on the ground, trying times for the country are far from over. And you were kind of talking about PTI's increasing reliance on digital propaganda. So I wanted to start off by asking you, what is this new digital media wing and how is it different from PTI's social media presence? So, um, like you said, PTI's uh, the online visibility is the central plank in PTI's governance. And this is how it's been before the PTI even came in the government. It is a PTI has been credited and rightly so for introducing digital politics in Pakistan. So uh, uh, naturally, when they've come into power, they're formalizing their digital presence and also increasing uh, ways they formalize and communicate online with the public directly. As part of the same efforts, they've introduced a digital media wing. And the idea is that they work separately from the social media team of PTI because that is a political wing. And this is the digital media wing will be looking at the state machinery online. And they're supposed to um, make, for instance, accounts verified uh, of ministries, of government accounts, official accounts verified, increase the online presence of the government, post updates, and come up with a digital strategy on digital diplomacy, for instance. So the idea is not to be political, but, you know, increase the state presence on social media and then also um, come up with a strategy to deal with fake news, something that the PTI government is very interested in. And a lot of their efforts are to do with tackling fake news online and even disinformation and misinformation. So one part of the digital media wing is also to come up with a strategy to deal with that online. That's interesting. As you mentioned, uh, the PTI is actually claiming to be trying to tackle some of these issues like disinformation and child pornography and hate speech uh, through these new citizen protection rules. So I just wanted to ask, why are these rules, you know, what do they consist of and why are they so controversial? And will they actually kind of address the issues that they are saying they will? So um, the rules are a legal requirement under its parent legislation, which is the Pakistan Cybercrime Law. Uh, 2016. In the cybercrime law, it's a requirement, it's a legal requirement for the legal authority, which is Pakistan Telecommunication Authority, to come up with rules that streamline how content is moderated online. But what has happened is because the parent legislation is so controversial and has been misused in the past to silence dissent and journalists being critical of the government and even activists online, there have been multiple cases of journalists, um, if, uh, cases being filed against journalists over their tweets or online activity. So there is obviously a lot of mistrust in the use of the law. And because the framing of the law is so vague and it allows misuse, so there's a lot of apprehension regarding its use. 
what the rules have done is, and the rules haven't been finalized, it was a consultation process where tech companies, stakeholders, the local uh, human rights stakeholders at Bangkok, the consultation process because they said they wanted uh, the rules to be officially withdrawn first. So there were a lot of legal loopholes in the process as well uh, that they were concerned about. And they also, because of the mistrust, they said that the process they felt was not as transparent. So this is why it also became controversial. And one of the bigger things was that the rules in the current form that they were presented, they had a lot of controversial uh, parameters which are not allowed in the parent legislation. For instance, a national coordinator is going to be appointed who will decide who what content is removed, what requests are sent, meaning the whole process will be centralized and the national coordinator is going to decide everything. The parent legislation, the cybercrime law does not allow that. Uh, the other was that they were asking all tech companies to comply with all requests that Pakistan government is going to send for removal or um, information requests to companies. Again, that is a very gunpoint strategy because provided that they're not going to uh, comply with the request, they might face a ban or they might face consequences. And there was also a, a requirement for all tech companies to open local offices in Pakistan because they don't have a presence right now. So localization of data, localization, bringing their presence to Pakistan so that they can further crack down and regulate online content at ease was the apparent um, perception. But the rules are yet to be finalized and released. And we're hoping that after the consultation process, some of the major things like national coordinator will be striked off because of the legal concerns that it's not part of the parent legislation. Right. So it sounds like there's this existing legal kind of infrastructure which is being used to silence dissent. And now there's these new proposed rules, which are, as you said, still being built, but which kind of serve to build on that and kind of crack down, cause more shrinking of space, maybe. I just wanted to kind of circle back and ask, so what are some of the strategies that the PTI is using to promote their message and to silence dissent apart from the legal infrastructure that's in place? And who are the targets of these kinds of attacks? So what's happened in the past two to three years is increasing weaponization of social media. And this is through weaponization of the term fake news, through the weaponization of the term disinformation, um, but more fake news. And really, obviously, consequently, the targets, the frequent targets of these kind of tactics are journalists and media organizations. I will not say that this problem is limited to the BTI, but of course, because it is at all political parties and the whole social media space has become part of the problem. But why the PTI is more important here is because they are the government, they are the pioneers of digital politics, and they're the first to start and become you know, mobilized online. So naturally, they have a large supporter base. They're more structured. Things are more coordinated for the PTI online. And that we've seen on the way they weaponize fake news. So there are thousands and dozens of accounts that are debunking so-called fake news, that what they deem as fake news, targeting journalists online, discrediting their work, discrediting media organizations, running SMEG, trends against journalists or even people critical of the government and then scores and scores of random accounts with the PTI flag or Imran Khan in their bio are going to come and, and attack you, harass you, intimidate you, her threats in, in some cases, 
So what has happened is that there's a lot of mistrust in the media and the media, mainstream media is being portrayed as an enemy of the state or that there is a lot of unfair criticism of the government and that they're biased or they're doing propaganda. So this we've seen because of their large supporter base, they have this benefit that they're more and more supporters of the PTI. They're more and more people who are there, coordinate, run trends, jump on accounts, harass you, intimidate you, like I said, even report your tweets and take screenshots of your tweets or dig up old tweets from the past and say, you know, come back at you and say something in defense if you've published a very critical report or if you've said something that is, according to them, not true. Right. And what impact have these kind of tactics had on freedom of expression online? Are there certain groups who have been less outspoken as a result of these measures? So as we speak, only recently a group of women journalists, including myself, released a statement asking for the PTI government and officials affiliated with the PTI government, as well as other political parties, to come up with a policy, a social media policy that discourages abuse and intimidation online, discourages their supporters from this kind of conduct. Policy has not come forth. We have written the National Committee on Human Rights and on, and on the subject, but we're yet to see any action from any party, you not know, just the PTI. So a lot of women journalists are naturally, because women in our part of the society are already vulnerable offline as well. So women journalists, more and more of them are going offline because of these constant attacks, abuse and harassment. Besides women journalists, it's also people who are mostly critical of the government. They are accused of propaganda. They're accused of spreading fake news. Um, they're accused of being enemy of the country. I mean, it's affecting the overall uh, political discourse online when less and less people would want to cause something political because no matter if you're right or wrong, it doesn't matter. You post anything political, you're bound to receive the same treatment. You're bound to receive the same kind of attacks and harassment and discrediting you. So more and more people don't want to post things online. I'll give you my example. When my recent piece on PTI came out, although in my opinion, I felt that I did uh, try to balance it out by quoting PTI officials who are accused of these things. But despite that, I, I felt that people don't even read the story. But just because you've written something about the PTI, be it even positive, they're going to come at you. And then after that, I st- stopped reporting my story on Twitter because I was like, I don't want to, because there were so many notifications for days and days that I had to mute notifications because it's not worth it at the end of the day. So I limited my online activity after that because no one wants to go through this kind of um, relentless attacks and notifications, this barrage of notifications that you get once you post something political. So yes, definitely it's having an impact on freedom of expression online with more and more people choosing to go offline or being limited or calculative about what they post. Right. So that sounds quite worrying. And, you know, in addition to all of these tactics, there have also been reports that the government has been blocking apps like Bigo and games like PUBG and has also issued a final warning to TikTok as well. Do you think that there's some dissonance in the party's willingness to invest in some technologies such as, you know, setting up a digital media wing? and yet their willingness to crack down on companies like these. What do you think the government is worried about through these apps? 
Um, definitely, there's a disconnect. For instance, this government was all about their digital Pakistan initiative, but then uh, we saw because of some political indifferences, the digital Pakistan head resigned uh, abruptly, and now we don't know what became of the digital Pakistan vision. If there is anyone even heading it, or what whatever happened to those um, promises that were made back in December. So there is this disconnect of the the faulty promise of digital Pakistan. And then we also see simultaneously the CP rules or this crackdown on apps in the name of immorality and immoral content or objectionable content. So this all stems from the problematic cybercrime law that we have. And this was passed before the PTI government came into power. But the PTI government is not doing anything different. They're also using the same laws. They're using the same tactics. And through these rules, we saw that their motivations are the same. They were very, very critical of the past government, the previous government that passed the cybercrime law. But now they're repeating the same mistakes and not correcting them by introducing similar legislation, similar solutions, cracking down on apps. And I also feel that while they do say that they're all about digital investment and they want companies to invest in Pakistan, through these methods, by cracking down or by ordering companies to behave a certain way or to comply with their requests or face legal action or face bans, is this not a very friendly way or a very inviting approach? So I feel they're not, um, there's definitely a disconnect. And I definitely feel that they need to reconsider all their approaches if they're serious about inviting digital investment. But so far, it seems that there is, I mean, yeah, they definitely need to reconsider because so far it's just talking points and actions show otherwise. Right. And I also wanted to talk about, you know, the current situation in terms of COVID-19 and something that we've kind of noticed actually throughout the South Asian region, which is that the governments have been using technology both to solve problems, but also to collect data, for example, through coronavirus surveillance apps. And I just wanted to ask whether there's any concern or any conversation about the privacy implications around using these kind of apps and, you know, what happens after the data is harvested. I just wanted to get a sense of what the conversation is around that. So at present, of course, COVID-19 surveillance is not as big an issue as it was initially when COVID-19 outbreak was broken in Pakistan. The prime minister announced on television that they're using a terrorist system to monitor and track COVID-19 patients and to limit the spread of the virus. So that was also very problematic. Today, there is no um, SOP or any detailed um, document that defines the parameters and the type of system that is being used, its capabilities. We don't have, there are too many question marks. Also regarding privacy concerns, like you mentioned, so a French researcher had pointed out some loopholes in the government's main COVID-19 app, which is a track and trace app. So it has integrated other options such as risk assessment, but it allows you to mark your location if you want to. It's voluntary, but if you want, you can identify uh, your location, exact location on the app and identify as a COVID-19 patient to help others in the area trace a hotspot. But what happened is after the French researcher pointed those flaws out, 
it is then that the government decided to re- reconsider and do a security analysis of the app and look at but before that there was no there was only a two paragraph long privacy policy of the app so that was very concerning then at the same time a lot of information there were a lot of data collection portals that were introduced during covid-19 uh, for instance tiger force was uh, inducted by the government by the prime ministers he announced this initiative and a lot of information about them were collected through online means and some days later we find out that the private information of the tiger force volunteers including their identity card numbers their addresses their phone numbers their names were all being circulated on whatsapp and despite raising this concern in the media or on social media there was no response there was no ownership of the leak or even if that is a problem so what i feel that the government does not take privacy seriously it is definitely not a major concern in pakistan at the moment there is also no data protection law although it is under consideration and they're saying that it will be passed when the cp rules are introduced but as of now there is no accountability for the leaks and things going wrong they've come up with data collection methods but they haven't come up with a counter strategy what happens when the data is leaked and when we saw that it was indeed leaked there was no ownership or accountability or mechanism or safety or even acknowledgement of the issue as an issue given you know all these things that we've discussed actually over the past few minutes and given that there's this architecture being put in place in terms of legislation i wanted to ask whether there are any kind of movements or initiatives which are kind of pushing back against the changes and raising these kind of concerns or even just movements which are themed around freedom of expression broadly and how are they pushing back given this kind of increasingly tense atmosphere so one movement that recently started was attacks won't silence us by these women journalists that i mentioned against harassment and intimidation online um so this is very recent that there is a pushback against these tactics nothing has come of it but at least the discourse has started and the issue has been identified has been brought to mainstream discourse besides that digital rights stakeholders have, have pushed back against secret rules there was a strong strong backlash which is why the government had to reconsider and go into a consultation process even tech companies were gave us very strong pushback and for the first time actually globally also the tech companies came together and released an industry response which is from the AIC and 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 pushed back against the government and said that this is not going to work these are very um controlling tactics and these are not practical at all and will be very detrimental for the future of digital investment in pakistan so definitely now there has been a very coordinated and there has been some pushback but despite that i don't think there is anything that can really stop the government because as we speak apps continue to be blocked and threatened against a ban harassment continues online we still don't have anything anyone looking at the digital pakistan initiative so yeah it's very tricky what what the future has in store for pakistan's digital future thank you for making the time to speak with us ramsha thank you so much it was a pleasure For more Himal podcasts, go to himalmag.com/podcasts.